Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we're going to read chapters 17 and 18. And before we go on to the recap, I would like to sincerely apologize for uploading later than I usually said that I would. I have been a bit busy these couple of months and that has affected me from uploading on schedule. So I hope you guys forgive me for that. And I still hope that you guys enjoy the rest of these episodes. And I will try my best to get back on schedule as fast as I can. So, without further ado, let's go on to the recap. So last episode, we read chapters 15 and 16. And Percy gets a very, very interesting offer from Reyna, considering he's only been there for a few weeks at camp. A chance to be Praetor. Reyna believes Percy has the capability to rule and doesn't really want Octavian to be the one to be Praetor alongside her instead as we've seen with his behavior. Unfortunate to Reyna, Percy makes slight remarks at rejecting the offer, but Reyna's still hopeful about it. So she asks him to still consider it, still think about it, and in the meantime, good luck with his quest. So Percy and the trio, after a gloomy lunch, begin their quest and reach the docks that the camp has oh so generously provided thanks to Octavian. Although the boat wasn't of the best quality, Percy and the trio still feel hopeful on the success of this quest, and so do I. So now we'll read chapter 17 to see how this journey will take will, will be for the trio on their way to Alaska. <clears throat> chapter 17, Hazel. Hazel hated boats. She got seasick so easily, it was more like sea plague. She didn't mention this to Percy. She didn't want to mess up the quest. But she remembered how horrible her life had been when she and her mother had moved to Alaska. No roads, everywhere they went. They had to take the train or boat. She hoped her condition might have improved since she'd come back from the dead. Obviously not. And this little boat, the Pax, looked so much like that other boat they'd had in Alaska. It brought back bad memories. As soon as they left the dock, Hazel's stomach started to churn. By the time they passed the piers along the San Francisco Embarcadero, she felt so woozy, she thought she was hallucinating. They They sped by a pack of sea lions lounging on the docks, and she swore she saw an old homeless guy sitting among them. From across the water, the old man pointed a bony finger at Percy and mouthed something like, Don't even think about it. Did you see that? Hazel asked. Percy's face was red in the sunset. Yeah, I've been here before. I I don't know. I I think I was looking for my girlfriend. Annabeth, Frank said. You mean on your way to Camp Jupiter? Percy frowned. No, before that. He scanned the city like he was was still looking for Annabeth until they passed under the Golden Gate Gate Bridge and turned north. Hazel tried to settle her stomach by thinking of pleasant things. The euphoria she felt last night when they won the war games, riding Hannibal into the enemy keep. Frank's sudden transformation to a leader. He looked like a different person when he'd scaled the walls, calling on the fifth cohort to attack. The way he'd swept the, swept the defenders off the battlements. Hazel had never seen him like that before. She'd been so proud to pin the centurion's badge to his shirt. Then her ta- thoughts turned to Nico. Before they had left, her brother had pulled her aside to wish her luck. Hazel hoped he'd stay at Camp Jupiter to help defend it, but he said he'd be leaving today, heading back to the underworld. Dad needs all the help he can get, he said. The fields of punishment look like a prison riot. The Furies can barely keep order. Besides, 
I'm gonna try track some of the escaping souls. Maybe I can find the doors of death from the other side. Be be careful, Hazel said. If Gaia is guarding those doors, don't worry. Nico smiled. I know how to stay hidden. Just take care of yourself. The closer you get to Alaska, I'm not sure if it'll make the blackouts better or worse. Take care of myself, Hazel thought bitterly, as if there was any way the quest would end well for her. If we free Thanatos, Hazel told Nico, I may never see you again. Thanatos will send me back to the underworld. Nico took her hand. His fingers were so pale it was hard to believe Hazel and he shared the same godly father. I wanted to give you a chance. I wanted to give you a chance at Elysium, he said. That was the best I could do for you. But now I wish there was another way. I don't want to lose my sister. He didn't say the word again, but Hazel knew that's what he was thinking. For once, she didn't feel jealous of Bianca D'Angelo. She just wished she, that she had more time with Nico and her friends at camp. She didn't want to die a second time. Good luck, Hazel, he said. Then he melted into the shadows, just like her father had, 70 years before. The boat shuddered, jolting Hazel back to the present. They entered the Pacific Currents and skirted the rocky coastline of Mar- Marin County. <clears throat> Frank held his ski bag across his lap. It passed over Hazel's knees like the safety bar on an amusement ride, which made her think of the time Sammy had taken her to the carnival during Mardi Gras. She quickly pushed that memory aside. She couldn't risk a blackout. You okay? Frank asked. You look queasy. Seasickness, he confessed. I didn't think it would be this bad. Frank pouted like it was somehow his fault. He started digging in his pack. I've got some nectar and some crackers. Um, my, my grandmother says ginger helps. I don't have any of that, but it's okay. Hazel mustered a smile. That's sweet of you, though. Frank pulled out a saltine. It snapped in his big fingers. Crackers exploded everywhere. Hazel laughed. <laughs> Gods, Frank. Sorry, I, sh- I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> no problem, he said cheapishly. Guess you don't want that one. Percy wasn't paying much attention. He kept his eyes fixed on the shoreline. As they passed Stinson Beach, he pointed inland, where a single mountain rose above the green hills. That looks familiar, he said. Mount Tam, Frank said. Kids at camp were always talking about it. Big battle happened on the summit, at the old Titan base. Percy frowned. Were either of you there? No, Hazel said. That was back in August, before I, uh... Before I got to camp. Jason told me about it. The Legion destroyed the enemy's palace and about a million monsters. Jason had to battle Krios, hand-to-hand combat with a titan, if you can imagine. I can imagine, Percy muttered. Hazel wasn't sure what he meant, but Percy did remind her of Jason. Even though they looked nothing alike, they had the same aura of quiet power. Plus a kind of sadness, like they'd seen their destiny and knew it was only a matter of time before they met a monster they couldn't beat. Hazel understood the feeling. She watched the sun set in the ocean, and she knew she had less than a week to live. Whether or not their quest succeeded, her journey would be over by the Feast of Fortuna. She thought about her first death, and the months leading up to it. Her house in Seaward, the six months she'd spent in Alaska taking that little boat into Resurrection Bay at night visiting that cursed island. She realized her mistake too late. 
Her vision went black, and she slipped back in time. The rental house was a clapboard box suspended on pilings over the bay. When the train from Anchorage rolled by, the furniture shook and the pictures rattled on the walls. At night, Hazel fell asleep to the sound of icy water lapping against the rocks under the floorboards. The wind made the building creak and groan. They had one room with a hot plate and an ice box for a kitchen. One corner was curtained off for Hazel, where she kept her mattress and storage chest. She pinned her drawings and old photos of New Orleans on the walls, but that only made her homesickness worse. Her mother was rarely home. She didn't go by Queen Marie anymore. She was just Marie, the hired help. She'd cook and clean all day at the diner on 3rd Avenue for fishermen, railroad workers, and the occasional crew of Navy men. She'd come home smelling like pine salt and fried fish. At night, Mary Lovesque would transform. The voice took over, giving Hazel orders, putting her to work on their horrible project. Winter was the worst. The voice stayed longer because of the constant darkness. The cold was so intense, Hazel thought she would never be warm again. When summer came, Hazel couldn't get enough sun. Every day of summer vacation, she stayed away from home as long as she could. But she couldn't walk around town. It was a small community. The other kids spread rumors about her. The witch's child who lived in the old shack by the docks. If she came too close, the kids jeered at her through bottles and rocks. The adults weren't much better. Hazel could have made and could have made their lives miserable. She could have given them diamonds, pearls, or gold. Up here in Alaska, gold was easy. There was so much in the hills that Hazel could have buried the town without half trying. But she didn't really hate the locals for pushing her away. She couldn't blame them. She spent the day walking the hills. She attracted ravens. They'd caw at her at the, from the trees and wait for the shiny things that always appeared in her footsteps. The curse never seemed to bother them. She saw brown bears too, but they kept their distance. When Hazel got thirsty, she'd find a snowmelt waterfall and drink cold, clean water until her throat hurt. She'd climb as high as she could and let the sunshine warm her face. It wasn't a bad way to pass the time, but she knew eventually she'd have to go home. Sometimes she thought about her father, that strange pale man in the silver and black suit. Hazel wished he'd come back and protect her from her mother, maybe use his powers to get rid of that awful voice. If he was a god, he should be able to do that. She looked up at the ravens and imagined they were his emissaries. Their eyes were dark and maniacal, like his. She wondered if they reported her movements to her father. But Pluto had warned her about her mother about Alaska. It was a land beyond the gods. He couldn't protect them here. If he was watching Hazel, he didn't speak to her. She often wondered if she had imagined him. Her old life seemed as distant as the radio program she listened to, or President Roosevelt talking about the war. Occasionally, the locals would discuss the Japanese and some fighting on the outer islands of Alaska. But that, even that seemed far away. Not nearly as scary as Hazel's problem. One day in midsummer, she stayed out later than usual, chasing a horse. She'd seen it first when she had heard a crunching sound behind her. She turned and saw a gorgeous tan roan stallion with a black mane, just like the one she'd ridden her last day in New Orleans, when Sammy had taken her to the stables. It could have been the same horse, though. That was impossible. It was eating something off the pass, and for a second, Hazel had the crazy impression it was munching one of the gold nuggets that always appeared in her wake. 
Hey, fella, she called. The horse looked at her warily. Hazel figured it must belong to someone. It was way, it was too well-groomed. It's coat too sleek for a wild horse. If she could get close enough, what? She could find its owner? Return it? No, she thought. I just want to ride again. She got within ten feet, and the horse bolted. She spent the rest of the afternoon trying to catch it, getting maddeningly close before it ran away again. She lost track of time, which was easy to do with the summer sun staying up so long. Finally, she stopped, she stopped at the creek for a drink and looked at the sky, thinking it must be around three in the afternoon. Then she heard a train whistle down from down in the valley. She realized it had to be the evening run to Anchorage, which meant it was ten at night. She glared at the horse, grazing peacefully across the creek. Are you trying to get me in trouble? The horse whinnied. Then, Hazel must have imagined it. The horse sped away in a blur of black and tan, faster than forked lighting, lightning. Almost too quick for her eyes to register. Hazel didn't understand how, but the horse was definitely gone. She stared at the spot where the horse had stood. A wisp of steam curled from the ground. The train whistle echoed through the hills again, and she realized how much trouble she was in. She ran for home. Her mother wasn't there. For a second, Hazel felt relieved. Maybe her mom had to work late. Maybe tonight they wouldn't have to make the journey. Then she saw the wreckage. Hazel's curtain was pulled down. Her storage chest was open, and her few clothes strewn across the floor. Her mattress had been shredded as if a lion had attacked it. Worst of all, her drawing pad was ripped to pieces. Her colored pencils were all broken. Pluto's birthday gift, Hazel's only luxury, had been destroyed. Pinned to the wall was a note in red on the last piece of the drawing paper. In writing, that was not her mother's. Wicked girl, I am waiting at the island. Don't disappoint me. Hazel sobbed in despair. She wanted to ignore the summons. She wanted to run away, but there was nowhere to go. Besides, her mother was trapped. The voice had promised that they were almost done with their task. If Hazel kept helping, her mother wouldn't be freed. Hazel didn't trust the voice, but she didn't see any other option. She took the rowboat, a little skiff her mother had bought with a few gold nuggets from a fisherman, who had a tragic accident with his nets the next day. They had only one boat, but Hazel's mother seemed capable on occasion of reaching the island without any transportation. Hazel had learned not to ask about that. Even in midsummer, chunks of ice swirled in Resurrection Bay. Seals glided by her boat, looking at Hazel hopefully, sniffing for fish scraps. In the middle of the bay, the glistening back of a whale raked the surface. As always, the rocking of the boat made her stomach queasy. She stopped once to be sick over the side. The sun was finally going down over the mountains, turning the sky blood red. She rode toward the bay of Bay's mouth. After several minutes, she turned and looked ahead. Right in front of her, out of the fog, the island materialized. An acre of pine trees, boulders, and snow with a black sand beach. If the island had a name, she didn't know it. Once Hazel had made the mistake of asking the townsfolk, but they stared at her like she was crazy. Ain't no island there, said one old fisherman, or my boat would have run into it a thousand times. Hazel was about fifty yards from the shore when a raven landed on the boat's stern. 
is a greasy black bird almost as large as an eagle, with a jagged beak like an obsidian knife. Its eyes glitter with intelligence, so Hazel wasn't much surprised when it talked. Tonight, it croaked. The last night. Hazel let the oars rest. She tried to decide if the raven was warning her or advising her or making a promise. Are you from my father? She asked. The raven tilted his head. The last night. Tonight. It pecked at the boat's prow and flew toward the island. The last night, Hazel told herself. She decided to take it as a promise. No matter what she tells me, I will make this the last night. That gave her enough strength to row on. The boat slid ashore, cracking through a fine layer of ice and black silt. Over the months, Hazel and her mother had worn a path from the beach into the woods. She hiked inland, careful to stick to the trail. The island was full of dangers, both natural and magical. Bears rustled in the undergrowth. Glowing white spirits, vaguely human, drifted through the trees. Hazel didn't know what they were, but she knew they were watching her, hoping she'd stray into their clutches. At the center of the island, two massive black boulders formed the entrance to a tunnel. Hazel had made her way into the cavern she called the heart of the earth. It was the only truly warm place Hazel had found since moving to Alaska. The air smelled of freshly turned soil. The sweet, moist heat made Hazel feel drowsy, but she fought to stay awake. She imagined that if she fell asleep here, her body would sink into the earthen floor and turn to mulch. The cave was as large as a church sanctuary, like the St. Louis Cathedral back home on Jackson Square. The walls glowed with luminescent mosses, green, red, and purple. The whole chamber thrummed with energy, an echoing boom, boom, boom that reminded Hazel of a heartbeat. Perhaps it was just the sea's waves battering the island, but Hazel didn't think so. This place was alive. The earth was asleep, but it pulsated with power. Its dreams were so malicious, so fitful, that Hazel felt herself losing her grip on reality. Gaia wanted to consume her identity, just as she'd overwhelmed Hazel's mother. She wanted to consume every human, god, and demigod that dared to walk across her surface. You all belong to me, Gaia murmured like a lullaby. Surrender. Return to the earth. No, Hazel thought. I'm Hazel Levesque. You can't have me. Mary Levesque stood over the pit. In six months, her hair had turned as gray as lint. She'd lost weight. Her hands were gnarled from hard work. She wore snow boots and waders and a stained white shirt from the diner. She never would have been mistaken for a queen. It's too late. Her mother's frail voice echoed through the cavern. Hazel realized with a shock that it was her voice, not Gaia's. Mother? Marie turned. Her eyes were open. She was awake and conscious. This should have made Hazel feel relieved, but it made her nervous. The voice had never relinquished control while they were on the island. What have I done? Her mother asked helplessly. Oh, Hazel, what did I do to you? She stared in horror at the thing in the pit. For months, they'd been coming here, four or five nights a week as the voice required. Hazel had cried. She'd collapsed with exhaustion. She'd pleaded. She'd given in to despair. But the voice that had controlled her mother had urged her on relentlessly. Bring valuables from the earth. Use your powers, child. 
bring my most valuable possession to me. At first, her efforts had only brought had brought only scorn. The fissure in the earth had filled with gold and precious stones bubbling in a thick soup of petroleum. It looked like a dragon's treasure dumped in a tar pit. And slowly, a rock spire began to grow like a massive tulip bulb. It emerged so gradually, night after night, that Hazel had trouble judging its progress. Often, she concentrated all night on raising it, until her mind and soul were exhausted. But she didn't notice any difference. Yet the spire did grow. Now Hazel could see how much she'd accomplished. The thing was two stories high, a swirl of rocky tendrils jutting like a spear tip from the oily, oily morass. Inside, something glowed with heat. Hazel couldn't see it clearly, but she knew what was happening. A body was formed, was forming out of silver and gold. With oil for blood and raw diamonds for a heart. Hazel was resurrecting the son of Gaia. He was almost ready to wake. Her mother fell to her knees and wept. Sorry, Hazel. I'm so sorry. She looked helpless and alone. Horribly sad. Hazel should have been furious. Sorry? She'd lived in fear of her mother for years. She'd been scolded and blamed for her mother's unfortunate life. She'd been treated like a freak, dragged away from her home in New Orleans to this cold wilderness, and worked like a slave by a merciless evil goddess. Sorry didn't cut it. She should have despised her mother. But she couldn't make herself feel angry. Hazel knelt and put her arm around her mother. There was hardly anything left of her just skin and bones and stained work clothes. Even in the warm cave, she was trembling. What can we do? Hazel said. Tell me how to stop it. Her mother shook her head. She let me go. She knows it's too late. There's nothing we can do. She? The voice? Hazel was afraid to get her hopes up. But if her mother was really freed, then nothing else mattered. They could get out of here. They could run away, back to New Orleans. Is she gone? Her mother glanced fearfully around the cave. No, she's here. There's only one more thing she needs from me. For that, she needs my free will. Hazel didn't like the sound of that. Let's get out of here, she urged. That thing in the rock. It's, it's going to hatch. Soon, her mother agreed. She looked at, the ha- at Hazel so tenderly, Hazel couldn't remember the last time she'd seen that kind of affection in her mother's eyes. She felt a sob building in her chest. Pluto warned me, her mother said. He told me my wish was too dangerous. Your, your wish? All the wealth under the earth, he, she said. He controlled it. I wanted it. I was so tired of being poor, Hazel, so tired. First I summoned him, just to see if I could. I never thought the old Grigri spell would work on a god, but he courted me, told me I was brave and beautiful. She stared at her bent, calloused hands. When you were born, you were so pleased and proud. He promised me anything. He swore on the river sticks. I asked for all the riches he had. He warned me the greediest wishes caused the greatest sorrows. But I insisted. I imagined living like a queen, the wife of a god. And you, you received the curse. Hazel felt as as if she were expanding to the breaking point. Just like that spire in the pit, her misery would soon become too great to hold inside, and her skin would shatter. That's why I can find things under the earth? 
and why they only bring sorrow. Her mother gestured listlessly around the cavern. That's how she found me. How she was able to control me. I was angry with your father. I blamed him for my problems. I blamed you. I, I was so bitter. I, I listened to Gaia's voice. I was a fool. There's got to be something we can do. Hazel said, tell me how to stop her. The ground trembled. Gaia's disembodied voice echoed through the cave. My eldest rises, she said. The most precious thing in the earth, and you have brought him from the depths, Hazel Levesque. You have made him anew. His awakening cannot be stopped. Only one thing remains. Hazel clenched her fists. She was terrified. But now that her mother was free, she felt like she could confront her enemy at last. This creature, this evil goddess, had ruined her, their lives. Hazel wasn't going to let her win. I won't help you anymore, she yelled. But I'm done with your help, girl. I brought you here for one reason only. Your mother required incentive. Hazel's throat constricted. Mother? I'm sorry, Hazel. If you can forgive me, please know that it was only because I loved you. She promised to let you live if, if you sacrifice yourself, Hazel said, realizing the truth. She needs you to give your life willingly to raise that, that thing. Alcyonius, Gaia said, eldest of the giants, he must rise first and this will be his new homeland. Far from the gods, he will walk these icy mountains and forests. He will raise an army of monsters while the gods are divided, fighting each other in this mortal world war. He will send forth his armies to destroy Olympus. The earth goddess's dreams were so powerful to cast sh shadows across the cave walls. Ghastly shifting images of Nazi armies raging across Europe. Japanese planes de destroying American cities. Hazel finally understood. The gods of Olympus would take sides in the battle as they always did in human wars. While the gods fought each other to the bloody standstill, an army of monsters would rise in the north. Alcyonius would revive his brother giants and send them forth to conquer the world. The weakened gods would fall. The mortal conflict would rage for decades until all civilization was swept away and the earth goddess awakened fully. Gaia would rule forever. All this, the goddess purred. Because your mother was greedy and cursed you with the gift of finding riches. In my sleeping state, I would have needed decades more, perhaps even centuries, before I found the power to resurrect Alcyonius myself. But now he will wake, and soon so shall I. With terrible certainty, Hazel knew what would happen next. The only thing Gaia needed was a willing sacrifice, a soul to be consumed for Alcyonius to awaken. Her mother would step into the fissure and touch that horrible spire, and she would be absorbed. Hazel, go. Her mother rose unsteadily. She'll let you live, but you must hurry. Hazel believed it. That was the most horrible thing. Gaia would honor the bargain and let Hazel live. Hazel would survive to see the end of the world, knowing that she'd caused it. No, Hazel made a decision. I won't live. Not for that. She reached deep into her soul. She called on her father, the lord of the underworld, and summoned all the riches that lay in his vast realm. The cavern shook. Around the spire of Alcyonius, oil bubbled. 
then churned and erupted like a boiling cauldron. Don't be foolish, Gaius said, but Hazel detected concern in her torn tone, maybe even fear. You will destroy yourself for nothing. Your mother will still die. Hazel almost wavered. She remembered her father's promise. Someday her curse would be washed away. A descendant of Neptune would bring her peace. He'd even said she might find a horse of her own. Maybe that strange stallion in the hills was meant for her. But none of that would happen if she died now. She'd never see Sammy again or return to New Orleans. Her life would be 13 short. Bitter years with an unhappy ending. She met her mother's eyes. For once, her mother didn't look sad or angry. Her eyes shone with pride. You were my gift, Hazel, she said. My most precious gift. I was foolish to think I needed anything else. She kissed Hazel's forehead and held her close. Her warmth gave Hazel the courage to continue. They would die, but not as sacrifices to Gaia. Instinctively, Hazel knew that their final act would reject Gaia's power. Their souls would go to the underworld, and Alcyonius would not rise. At least not yet. Hazel summoned the last of her willpower. The air turned searing hot. The spire began to sink. Jewels and chunks of gold shot from the fissure with such force they cracked the cavern walls and sent shrapnel flying, stinging Hazel's skin through her jacket. Stop this, Gaia demanded. You cannot prevent his rise. At best, you will delay him. A few decades, half a century. Would you trade your lives for that? Hazel gave her an answer. The last night, the raven had said. The fissure exploded, the roof claw crumbled. Hazel sank into her mother's arms, into the darkness, as oil filled her lungs, and the island collapsed into the bay. And that's the end of chapter 17. So now we found out, I think, the last bit of Hazel's backstory, and how exactly... We still need that one question of how exactly was she resurrected? How exactly was she given a second chance to live? And why wasn't her mother given the same chance? Or was she possibly given the same chance, but she's in another, I guess you could say, another life form or body? Um, It all depends, see. So we'll have to see. We'll have to continue to read. Uh, And I think that the fact that Hazel and her mother were able to make up before they finally were able to, you know, perish together. I do believe that, you know, I think they will be reunited some way or some another. I really wish that happens. And because the way that this happened to them is so unfair that... In fact, I even think that Hazel should be the one who gives the final blow to Gaia if they are if they win the if they win the war against Gaia and the monsters. Considering if the mon- if all the monsters don't rise fast enough from Gaia's from the Earth, but then again, there's a slight possibility that will happen. And if that happens, then I really, really do hope that Hazel delivers that final blow to Gaia. Because I truly believe that she deserves to do that. Because Gaia had put her and her mother through so much agony and stress and like despair that nobody should go through that. Nobody deserves to go through that. And, it's, and I think that Hazel should be able to get her revenge, her vengeance from what 
her what Gaia had taken from her. So next chapter, we'll read chapter 18. We'll see how exactly the rest of this journey is going. I think that backstory on Hazel and really how exactly um, she got a second chance to live and everything has provided a bit more of a clarity than the previous backstories. So I think this was probably one of the final pieces that we'll need to understand Hazel and how exactly she came back to Earth as a second chance. And after this break, we'll read chapter 18, Hazel. And we're back from the ads. And now we're going to read chapter 18, Hazel. Hazel! Frank shook her arms, sounding panicked. Come on, please, wake up! She opened her eyes. The night sky blazed with stars. The rocking of the boat was gone. She was lying on solid ground, her bundled sword and pack beside her. She sat up groggily, her head spinning. They were on a cliff overlooking a beach about a hundred feet away. The ocean glinted in the moonlight. The surf washed gently against the stern of their beach boat. To her right, hugging the edge of a cliff, was a building like a small church with a searchlight in the steeple. A lighthouse, Hazel guessed. Behind them, fields of tall grass rustled in the wind. Where are we? she asked. Frank exhaled. Thank the gods you're awake. We're in Mendocino, but 150 miles north of the Golden Gate. 150 miles? Hazel groaned. I've been out that long? Percy knelt beside her, the sea wind sweeping his hair. He put his hand on her forehead as if checking for a fever. We couldn't wake you. Finally, we decided to bring you ashore. We thought maybe the seasickness. It wasn't seasickness. She took a deep breath. She couldn't hide the truth from from them anymore. She remembered what Nico had said. If a flashback like that happens when you're in combat. I, I haven't been honest with you, she said. What happened was a blackout. I have them once in a while. A blackout? Frazel took Fra- Frank, Frank took Hazel's hand, which startled her, though pleasantly so. Is it medical? Why haven't I noticed before? I try to hide it, she admitted. I've been lucky so far, but it's getting worse. It's not medical, not really. Nico says it's a side effect from my past, from where he found me. Percy's intense green eyes were hard to read. She couldn't tell whether he was concerned or wary. Where exactly did Nico find you? He asked. Hazel's tongue felt like cotton. She was afraid if she started talking, she'd slip back into the past. But they deserved to know. If she failed them on this quest, zonked out when they needed her the most, she couldn't bear that idea. I'll explain, she promised. She clawed through her pack. Stupidly, she'd forgotten to bring a water bottle. Is, is there anything to drink? Yeah. Percy muttered a curse in Greek. That was dumb. I left my supplies down at the boat. Hazel felt bad asking them to take care of her, but she woke up parched and exhausted, as if she'd lived the last few hours in both the past and the present. She shouldered her pack and sword. Never mind. I can walk. Don't even think about it, Frank said. Not until you've had some food and water. I'll get the supplies. No, I'll go. Percy glanced at Frank's hand on Hazel's. Then he scanned the horizon as if he sensed trouble, but there was nothing to see. Just the lighthouse and the field of grass. Stretching inland. You two stay here. I'll be right back. You sure? Hazel said feebly. 
I don't want you to- It's fine, said Percy. Frank, just keep your eyes open. Something about this place. I don't know. I'll keep her safe, Frank promised. Percy dashed off. Once they were alone, Frank seemed to realize that he was holding Hazel's hand. He cleared his throat and let go. Uh, I, um, I, I think I understand where your blackouts are, Hazel, he said, and where you come from. Her heartbeat stumbled. You do? You seem so different from the other girls I've met, he blinked and then rushed on. Not like bad different, just the way you talk. The things that surprise you, like songs or TV shows or slang people use. You talk about your life like it happened a long time ago. You were born in a different time, weren't you? You came from the underworld? Hazel wanted to cry. Not because she was sad, but because it was such a relief to hear someone say the truth. Frank didn't act revolted or scared. He didn't look at her as if she were a ghost or some awful undead zombie. Frank, I... We'll figure it out, he promised. You're alive now. We're gonna keep you that way. The grass rustled behind them. Hazel's eyes stung in the cold wind. I don't deserve a friend like you, she said. You don't know what I am, what I've done. Stop that, Frank scowled. You're great. Besides, you're not the only one with secrets. Hazel stared at him. I'm not? Frank started to say something, then he tensed. What? Hazel asked. The wind stopped. She looked around and noticed he was right. The air had become perfectly still. So? She asked. Frank swallowed. So why is the grass still moving? Out of the corner of her eye, Hazel saw dark shapes ripple through the field. Hazel! Frank tried to grab her arms, but it was too late. Something knocked him backwards. Then a force like a grassy hurricane wrapped around Hazel and dragged her into the fields. And that's the end of chapter 18. It was a pretty, pretty, sh it was a pretty short chapter, but we still got to learn a lot about the relationship between Hazel and Frank build. And the fact that Frank was able to discern that just from uh, like the few weeks that they'd been together and been able to discern that she's from the underworld and that she's from a different time really shows how observant he is and really gives us an insight into more about his character. So, leaving us with that cliffhanger on chapter 18, next week we'll read chapter 19 to see exactly what happens to the two of them and whether Percy is able to save them from this or will they have to get help from an outside factor. So, next week we'll read chapters 18 and 19 and until then, stay safe and stay out of boredom.